going on, everybody? Scott Fontana here, joined as always by my partner Dan Urban for some fighting words on the Couchside Judges. Busy weekend for MMA fans between Bellator 243 on Friday, Fight Night at UFC Apex Saturday, and Ryzen 22 early Sunday morning. We'll be zoning in on UFC and Bellator, which featured some big finishes and some interesting judging. Sometimes it was too interesting. Especially the Miles Jury Georgie Karahanian fight at Bellator, with scoring all over the map. We'll also touch on Michael Chandler's big win. Over in the Octagon, we saw a ton of rounds that drew 10-8 consideration from the judges, but none of them were unanimous. We'll look at those, plus a very eventful first round of Derek Lewis's huge second round TKO of Alexi Olenek in the UFC headliner. You know, we got two events to be talking about here, so let's just jump into contested rounds, Dan. And I want to start with the headliner in UFC, Derek Lewis getting that TKO like you mentioned over Alexi Olenek. Round one, though, this was actually a very interesting round because we saw a ton of action from both men. And what did you see exactly? How did you kind of see this one uh, for? Uh, I scored it for Lewis. I thought it was 10-9. I really thought he had the stronger offense. I guess so you obviously favored the striking. I favored the striking, but I also, you know, we've, we've seen this scarf hold uh, diaphragm choke before, actually in the apex by Mirab Divalshvili. Except I didn't think it was that tight this time. You definitely are more experienced in the grappling than I because you started tapping me out a long time ago. But I, So I defer to you. But I did go with Olenek watching it live because that did appear to be tighter to me. It looked like he and he had it for quite a while. I don't think it was a stalling move. I think he was really working it. And especially against someone like Lewis, who I know has had back issues before, the way he's kind of torquing his body a little bit, I'm kind of looking at that. And you can't necessarily grade too heavily on that, I guess, knowing, you know, just knowing how fighters body or not. That's that's not really how judges should be grading. But, you know, it certainly seemed like it was pretty effective to me. So I didn't think he expected he was going to get a tap with this. I don't think he was just resting either. I think it was more of a... I'm trying to cook them. I mean, you're familiar. You, you're definitely familiar with that uh, portion of grappling. I've been, I have been cooked before, and 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 then I have been e- eaten. And so, over a five round fight against a guy with heavy hands like Lewis, I think Olenek wanted to. I think that was part of his strategy to really drain on his cardio. He doesn't have sure. great, great cardio to begin with, and if he gets a tap, great. I think a tap would have just been a bonus for him. I don't think he had enough weight. On Lewis, I mean, I could be wrong too. These guys are—they're Olen- huge. Olenek's a monster, and and he's he's a master of these type of you know unorthodox type of chokes exactly. and holds that you so, don't see in MMA. So while I'm not seeing it effectively, perhaps it really is effectively. I thought it was a great strategy over five rounds. I just didn't think it was going to get him a tap, and I didn't think it outweighed the striking in that round. Yeah, for sure. And and you know, Lewis, he was definitely hitting hard, especially early on in the round before Olenek was able to start really working his ground game there. Um, so I understand it. And two of the judges actually sided with you, Sal D'Amato and Chris Lee. Uh, I had Derek Cleary on my side as the minority judge. But yeah, I mean, this was this was a close one. It was a really close round. It was a lot of, I think there was a good argument for either man, so it's hard to get too mad about it going one way or the other. Right, yeah. And, and as we know, it, it really didn't matter. No, and it was never going to matter. Let's face it. These were not the two heavyweights they are going to find their way into a five-round decision. It just wasn't going to happen. Yeah, it shouldn't happen. You know, 
I think before, you know, we've, we've seen plenty of fights over the years where we're looking at heavyweights and like, oh, there's no way these will go the distance. There's no way Derek <laughs> Lewis and Alexi Olenek were going to make it 25 full minutes. Not a chance. I would have put my mortgage on that. <laughs> Brave. But again, like you said, you know, it didn't really matter. So, uh, But one fight, though, that I'd like to jump all the way over to Bellator real quick. This was definitely the fight to talk about from a judging standpoint of the whole weekend. Miles Jury, UFC veteran, for those who don't watch Bellator, they have good fighters over there, guys. You should be watching some of these guys. He's got a really good record. Yes, he does. I mean, Miles Jury, I mean, he he was really good over the UFC for a while. He kind of hit a at a rough stretch and I don't think he was let go. I think he decided to leave. But I, that's neither here nor there. In this fight against Georgie Karahanian, another veteran featherweight fighting at lightweight in this one against Jury. This was a split decision that Jury got, but what makes it so interesting is the fact that we had opposing 30-27 scores here. I just don't see a 30-27 for either man. Yeah, yeah. It, look, no commission head ever wants to see 30-27s on either side. It, even in a close fight, it's always going to be a bad look. But let's just let's look at each round individually and kind of break down what we saw and why it could have been scored the way it was by you know either of the extreme judges here. So, Dan, how did you see round one? Round one I gave to Karahanian. Uh It was a close round, but I thought he definitely landed better and more often. Yeah, I think it was it was good kicks was really did it for me. I think he was he was very effective with those kicks. You saw Jury come on a little later in the round, but then even even then, as Jury was able to gain a little bit of momentum, Georgie he answers with a solid right, and I, I think that was able to kind of fend off any any momentum there and, and still secure the round in my eyes. I it was it was sort of close, but I didn't think it was all that close. Yeah, no, I, I didn't really uh, toy with going jury here, so I'm with yeah, you. Yeah, but actually, in this one, it was two out of three did see it our way for Karahani in 10-9. That was Brian Miner and Mike Murtha, whereas Dave Peabody gave this one to jury. All right. Uh, it's not the worst. I, I, it's not the worst case to give it to him that way, but I, I thought that was a pretty a uh, little bit out there score. Round two, though. I definitely uh, thought Jerry won this round. He landed better. He had the good elbows against the cage when uh, he was defending the takedowns. And every time Karahanian got a takedown, he didn't do anything. Jerry just got right back up. Yeah, not very effective grappling there. I didn't think this was a very close round at all, actually. It's, it wasn't you know, it wasn't the most dominant round out there, but I didn't think it was very close. So I also had this one for Jerry. I think he was also uh, as open. He also opened Karahanian up a bit, right? This is where he was bleeding. I believe so. I'm, I'm, I don't recall exactly, but I think you might be right. Uh, I didn't put that in my notes, but I, I, I think you might be right. But in this round, again, two out of three judges saw it the same way as you and I did for jury. That was Miner and Peabody, whereas Murtha saw this one for Karahanian. Yeah, that's uh, a bit interesting. So now what we have here is Brian Miner is split, which leaves Peabody seeing all the rounds for jury and Murtha seeing all the rounds for Karahanian. So... You have as disparate scores as you could possibly have right now in this fight. Just imagine if we had open scoring. For yeah, this <laughs> another call for open scoring, please. Kansas, excuse me, calls it real-time scoring. Real-time scoring. Let's let's go with that. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> going into round three, it's it's anybody's fight. You know, who do you got in this one? Really, this was the, the round that I thought was the clearest of all three, and that was definitely for jury. He had the better strike. It's funny. I actually thought this was the closest of round of the three. Really? No, I thought this was yeah. clear. I, you know, Jerry was winning the strike, and then Karahanian attacked the guillotine, and I really thought that was all his offense for that entire round. It was a good guillotine attempt, though. 
I, I know it just doesn't wipe out. I don't think it was close to being finished. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it wiped it out, but I did think it was. I actually just thought it was a closer round. I still sided with you, jury ten nine. And yeah, he he finished the round throwing elbows from the top. He wasn't all that active in the ground and pound, but he he was good enough. Mm-hmm. No, this was to me. I thought this was a pretty clear jury round as far as I wouldn't have gone the other way, but it was close. I really did think it was close. Uh, and. Two out of three judges agreed. This was also Minor and Peabody. And Karahanian got the round from Mirtha. And that was the third round he got from Mirtha. Mirtha had this 30-27 for Karahanian. Peabody had it 30-27 for Jury. And Brian Minor was the only judge who saw it the same way you and I did, 29-28, and also the same rounds for him. So Brian Minor, I, I think he nailed this score, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think 29-28 is the right score. 30-27 Karahanian is crazy to me. Uh, if I had to choose one person to get a thirty twenty seven, I have to give it to Jury. Don't agree with it, but that's the only yeah, way. Yeah, I, I think it's easier to go that way than, than the other way. I think you're probably right, but you know what? <laughs> it, it it's unfortunate when we get scores like this. You know, the Mirtha being the out judge twice in this one, it's not ideal. You know, you you definitely get minority scores here and there. It, it happens. You know, someone has sees one round differently than his peers. Uh, two is is not ideal though. Uh, at least it's not three. If, if <laughs> goodness, if everybody thought this was thirty twenty seven one way, and he was the only one who thought it was thirty twenty seven the other way, then my goodness, that would have been bad. But yeah, this is still not ideal. Uh, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for the post mortem chat uh, up in Uncasville, Connecticut, for this one. Yeah, that would be interesting to listen in on. It would be interesting to hear kind of what the judges say back and forth. One, another. I'm sure they're not trying to slit each other's throat or anything like that. But it would be interesting to see people argue, or not argue, but state their case for in a fight yeah. like this. I wonder I if it ever gets heated. What's that? It probably doesn't. I was I was saying, I wonder if it ever gets heated. You know, I, I'm, I'm sure there are times where it does. You know, these are, these are passionate people who, you know, love the sport. But I'll bet you at the higher end, you know, we're, we're speculating. We don't know this for certain. But I would have to think at the higher ends, these are very confident people and they're professionals. They've been doing this a long time. Uh, you're probably not going to see, you know, Sal D'Amato and Derek Cleary come to blows over their scores. I can't imagine <laughs> that happens. <laughs> They're going to settle in the cage. Hey, oh, don't, they should. Don't I mean, break look, that cage they... down. We're going to fight right now. <laughs> yeah, why not? It just, uh, you know, do it after the bell, kind of ding, ding, like Rocky, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but let's let's move back over to UFC here because there was another split decision that we wanted to talk about, and this was the first fight of the UFC Apex card on Saturday. Erwin Rivera, he got the win over Ali Alcasey by split decision, as we said. And round two was the swing round here. Every everyone else kind of agrees about round one, round three. Round one was definitely Alcasey. Round three was was Rivera, but round two it was split, and that's how Rivera got the win. How did you see it? I gave it to Alcasey. I thought there really wasn't that much to score offensively. The best thing Rivera did in my eyes was in that dogfight position where he's a uh, Defending a takedown, I, I remember, I believe, and he's got the whizzer, and mm. he just lands a couple strikes to the head before they stand back up. And really, I thought it was just Alcazi after that doing, uh, you know, the better shots. Yeah, I didn't think this was a terribly close round. It, I mean, it was close, but but not razor close to me. Um, not not that I would dispute it. I, I I'm not really. I don't feel too bad that it didn't go Alcazi's way because I also saw it that way. Um, but I thought. Alcazi, he landed more impactfully, and I thought he was also a little busier in terms of his lands uh, as well. So I, I think kind of with the two of those coming together in a you know 
mostly we're talking about striking offense here. I yeah. just I, I kind of felt pretty good about giving it to Al Casey. But, you know, the judges cage side, they must have saw something that we didn't. And, uh, you you know, I defer to them. Yeah, sure. yeah I'm not. This isn't one I'm going to get too, uh, too heated about. Yeah, at least two of the judges saw it the other way than we did. Dave Hagan in our corner for this one. And I saw all the rounds the same way as Dave Hagan on Saturday. That was my dude. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think I did, too, as well. Mm-hmm. And Mike I Bell. Think- I also had all eight rounds the same as Mike Bell. So these were my two uh, two guys that were seeing the fights exactly yeah. the way I was. All right. Shout out, shout out to Bell and Hagen. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, know, you always have to account for the fact that they're watching Cage Side from a different perspective. They get a lot more tools at their disposal than we do. Uh, so, you know, in a close fight like this, I'm always going to be willing to defer to them. For sure. Yeah. But 10-8 rounds here. We had a lot for the 10-8 watch this week, Dan. They got four fights, four rounds. Yeah, Mike Bell and uh, Ron McCarthy were busy with those today, uh, on Saturday. I feel like Mike Bell's always in the 10-8 mix. He, <laughs> he's someone who we always see talking about giving 10-8s or not mm-hmm. giving 10-8s. It's kind of funny. He's he's always he's always in the mix for these 10-8 fights. I don't know <laughs> if it's if it's just kind of the luck of the draw or what. But yeah, you know, hey, let's let's start at the top. Let's start with the co-main event from all these fights are going to be from UFC uh, for the rest of the way out. Let's start with the Kona main event from Vegas with Chris Weidman. He got the win over Omari Akhmedov, unanimous decision. And round three was the 10-8 round up for discussion here with Bell and McCarthy giving it to him. Did you also go yeah, that way? I went 10-8 as well for Weidman. I thought he had dominance for the duration, good sub attempts, good elbows. I, I thought it was pretty, uh, pretty easy round that you have to consider the 10-8 there. Yeah, I did too. Um First off, it was a bad fight. I, I want to point this out. This was this was like watching two Hummers be asked to drive the height of New Jersey with only one tank of gas, uh, and it, you're just not going to get there. <laughs> you're going to have to fill up at some point, and these guys really didn't get the chance to fill up. So not a good fight. But Weidman, you know, he really kind of leaned on that championship pedigree. When both were tired, he was able to kind of fight through it a little bit more. But even at that, you know, he's going for those arm triangle chokes. That was good. You know, he had some great duration to these things, dominated the grappling. Checking off three Ds, of course, and he had some good elbows at the end as well. But there's one thing that I'd like to point out, Dan, and this is something that kind of ties in with things that I've heard about conversations judges have been having behind the scenes for the last year or so. There was a lot of Weidman kind of going for things and not necessarily being quite so busy with it. You know, was he really pushing for the finish or not? You know, he was on top. Was he definitely pushing for the finish? Do you? What do you think? I think he wanted to finish. I think he wanted to finish. I'm sure they all want to finish, but was he really pushing for it? Or was it kind of like a, almost a little stallish? It didn't look stallish to me. It looked more okay. uh, maybe I'm going to I'm gonna just keep attacking this. Maybe I don't have my full heart in the attacks, but I'm going to do it because it looks good, possibly. Yeah. But I don't think he was stalling. I think he really wanted to finish. He, maybe he just wasn't able to get it with it. Uh, well, you know, his cardio was shot. I mean, yeah. you already mentioned that. No, I, I, thought, I thought they were good enough attacks but i can also see reasons why a judge might look at this and be like this was not the most aggressive pursuit of the finish here you know judges have been kind of trying to figure out a consensus among themselves about grappling dominance without trying to get the finish you know whether this meets the 10-8 or not and whether this fight was definitely an example of that or not it's hard to say but it kind of ties into something i've been hearing a little bit here you know, do they want to re- reward lay and pray type stalling? You know, what what qualifies as lay and pray type stalling? Is it is it you know cooking like you were talking about? You know, or not? But even you know whether whether this fight was definitely an example of that or not, I think it serves 
you know, the fact that I'm bringing this up, I hope serves as a reminder for people that it may not seem like judges kind of care all the time. And Dan, I've, obviously, you know this, so I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. But it may not seem like judges maybe care. Maybe they're just clocking in, collecting a small paycheck and then leaving. Uh, but they really do care. They, they're trying to figure out the best way to be consistent across the board for everybody so that wherever you're fighting, whoever's judging you, you should be able to expect the same type of scoring, the same type of treatment uh, so that you can game plan that way too. So don't doubt that, guys. This is, this is from everything I'm hearing. This is exactly what they do. They talk about this stuff all the time. Yeah, you know what? I just think reward laying prey, it wouldn't be from a position like guard or half guard. So if you got the back and you're attacking subs... Even if you're not putting your heart into all the subs, I still kind of lean. It's still dominance. But that's the tough call, you know. That this is this is what judges are trying to kind of figure out amongst themselves, uh, is my understanding of it. Am I, you know, no matter how I feel about it, that's that's what they're trying to figure out. I would have to think having a good dominant position qualifies as dominance. But does that check off any other D's, you know, do you, when you're talking about duration, do you want the duration to be just having the position or do you want it to be also trying to go for submissions that kind of qualify as good duration? You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's kind of a loaded question. Yeah. Real quick. What what a quick example is I know when I'm grappling, I have a dominant position and you know, I'm exhausted. There's a minute left in the fight in in the round. uh, And I'm like, Oh man, I, I may be able to attack here for a thing, but I don't want to get swept because then I'm on the bottom for the next however long. And so the, the closer it gets to the end of the round, which is when we saw Weidman open up more with the elbows and stuff. So yes. perhaps maybe maybe you do have something there. Yeah. Uh, to be to be clear, I, of course, agreed with you that this was a 10-8. But it's an interesting thing to kind of think about, about reasons why a round like this may not necessarily be a 10-8. Because you've got two guys that are tired. Maybe it's not going to the same degree of pushing for that 8 as you would think, but I actually did think he got there. So, And it really doesn't matter in the end of the day because when you're talking about a round three in a fight that's tied on right, the judges' yeah. scorecards, you could give a 10-9, 10-8, 10-7, it doesn't matter. The same guy's going to win. So, you know, it's it's one of those things that, you know, people like you and I get hung up on because we talk about this stuff, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that doesn't make that much of a difference. But I agree, 10-8. All right, so let's move on to uh, the next 10-8 fight then. Yana Kunitskaya against Yulia Stolyarenko. Round two was the potential 10-8 here. We did get one judge go that route, and that was Derek Cleary. Did you think this was a 10-8? I did not. I went 10-9. These names are a mouthful. Uh, Kunitskaya was on her way. You just call her Yana. That's that's probably easier. Okay, so Yana was on her way to a 10-8 for me. I thought those mm-hmm. knees, which she was relentless relentless with, even though there wasn't much behind them, I thought they were really adding up. And it's a reason why Stolyarenko pulled guard. I thought they those were hurting her to the point like, okay, I, I'm leading 10-8 was. right now. She was looking for an answer in that clinch. Yeah, so I, I thought I'm leading 10-8 here. But then she gets the guard, and she attacked with a solid armbar attempt. I mean, she didn't extend it or anything, but it made Kuniskaya go on the defensive and stop her it attack. totally changed the dynamic of that that conflict there yeah absolutely that's why i also went 10-9 here even though the numbers here are just staggering for for kuniska striking wise from ufc stats 92 to 2 yeah strikes landed in this round you don't get a whole lot more you know lopsided than that especially because that was mostly contained in a four minute period wasn't even over five minutes because the four minute period was 
after that, it was all kind of that, that arm bar exchange we were talking about. And <laughs> it's crazy. She, you know, she set the tone early with, uh, with that big opening slam and follow-up oh, kick too. Yeah, so like you already knew Kunitska was, was kind of just yeah. saying, I'm the big woman here. You're going to deal with me for the next five to 10 minutes. <laughs> I also went 10, nine here. I, I really just didn't think you could go there, even though I was really close to that 10, eight. Uh, yeah, so let's move on to our next fight, which had a crazy round one. But, you know, we're, we're going to focus on round two because that was the 10-8 uh, decision here. It was uh, Gavin Tucker versus Justin Janes. Yeah, crazy round one. Janes ended up taking it in in a fight that basically the last 90 seconds was just crazy. Uh, but, yes, definitely focus on round two here where it, I thought it was a borderline 10-8. And I did go 10-8 for Tucker here. Uh, what about you? I also went 10-8. I thought he checked all threes to at least some minimal degree. All three Ds? Not that he gave a full check on damage or duration, but he had he had impartials there, and I thought the dominance in the striking was really strong. Yeah, I thought this was a wide margin striking edge for Tucker, um, and you just didn't see a very competitive uh, offense coming back at him from James here. So. I I did go the 10-8, but it was it was definitely a close one. It was borderline. I have no problem with the 10-9 here. You know, Dave Hagen saw it our way. Our man Dave. Yeah, Dave. And uh, <laughs> but Derek Cleary and Junichiro Kamijo, they were the ones who went 10-9. Uh, and I'm okay with that. That's perfectly fine. You know, this this was not one that it didn't even end up mattering because Tucker finally put him away in round three. Yep. Final 10-8 round of the evening, though, was on the second prelim fight, Yusuf Salal getting a dominant victory over Peter Barrett. And round two was a 10-8 on two out of three judges' cards. That was Bella McCarthy again here, uh, whereas Tony Weeks only went 10-9. What about you? I went 10-8 uh, for Zalal. So did I. I thought he checked dominance duration with a little bit of damage. And... Yeah, I'm grappling dominance for sure. Uh, good duration and, and damage, I, I would say. Checked all three Ds for me. Yeah, no problems. But, you know... Grappling dominance can be tough to kind of settle on regarding 10 8s. So, like, you know, maybe that was why Tony Weeks didn't go there. Tony Weeks, of course, comes from the boxing world. So, I don't want to say he doesn't understand MMA because he's been judging MMA for a very long time. But, you know, maybe, maybe there's reasons you to go, don't go back there or not, you know, just because of your background. I don't know. I'm, I'm totally speculating there because Tony Weeks, again, like I said, he's been judging MMA a long time. It's not like he doesn't know fights go to the ground. Yeah, I think Zalal had better choke attempts than Weidman. Or yes. that means nothing. Well, he also he also had a little more energy. <laughs> yeah, that's than true Chris too. Weidman, yeah. <laughs> who only had about maybe eleven minutes of energy in him, but he he somehow found, like I said, that championship medal he, he found in him. Mm-hmm. Uh, lightning rounds now. Let's just get to. We only have one lightning round to talk about real quick. But Tim Means he got a unanimous nod over Loriano Staropoli, and, and round one was the split round here, even though it didn't end up mattering too much. How did you have round one? Yeah, I thought it was close, but every time Means landed, he got a really good reaction out of it, and I, that, I went that way. I did, too. You know, Junichiro Camillo, same thing here, uh, whereas Cleary and McCarthy went for Stropoli. You know, it was back and forth round, but, you know, you can, you can make a case for both men, I think, but I, I agreed with you. It didn't matter since Means made it much more definitive in rounds two and three. So no controversy, no questions, easy. Nope. Undisputed rounds. We did have a couple fights that the judges were completely in agreement. We got no issues there. Nazrat Hakparast, he got the unanimous 30-27s over Alex Munoz in a great performance from Hakparast. You know, good striking display there. <laughs> and you talk about good striking displays. Kevin Holland getting the third round TKO over a Joaquin Buckley. I'm excited for Kevin Holland, man. 
I think he can give uh, Izzy a, a solid run. If you get, give him a couple of years to get really good, I think you have a great run at him. Yeah, let's not rush him. But I, I, I will say I definitely love the the chatter that he brings to the cage. I think it's great head games. It totally works because it's it's kind of natural the way he works it in. It's it's one of those things that I like. And I, I know we're going to get into a little bit about this, but as you mentioned, that is a f- technically that's a foul to trash talk <laughs> your opponent. A foul. And Mark Smith told him to knock it off. He did. He did. Great, great job, by the way, with, with Mark Smith. We should we should talk about this right now. Great job with the stoppage here in round three. It was twenty to eighteen, Holland going into round three. So Buckley needed a finish, but it didn't matter because Holland just sniped Buckley. And Mark Smith comes in with a great stoppage because you could tell Buckley was kind of out of it, and that Holland didn't really want to follow up. Yeah, he got and in there rather than letting it go. Smith, who's right on top of it, just says, you know what? No, it's done. It's over. Yeah, great stoppage. That's the kind of stoppage that we wanted to see a couple weeks ago uh, in a fight that we've talked about at nauseum. Um, but, but yeah, I, I got to say, Mark Smith, he always impresses me as a referee. He's locked in. He takes control of the action in the cage without getting too invasive, I think. I think he's great. Uh, I think he's a great ref. And that was definitely one of my favorite finishes of the weekend. You know, we had six out of 12 fights at UFC. They ended early, three in the first round. We had half of the Bellator four-fight main card end in the first round as well. What out of all those fights was your favorite finish? My top finish, going to shock everybody here, but it was not a submission. (gasps) (laughs) I loved Benil Dariush's spinning back forearm. uh, He knocked out uh, Scott Scott Holtzman. Holtzman. Clean KO of Holtzman. He just did that against Dracker Close, too. Darius, Darius came on as, as this grappler, this really good grappler, and, and now he's just knocking out fools left and right. Yeah, I, you know what? I really loved it because, you know, he he started getting emotional in there because Holtzman kept fouling him with the eye pokes, and he he was not happy camper, and he took it out on him. Yeah, it uh, happened very quickly. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't, don't make Benil Dariush mad, everybody. If you see him on the street, I'm sure he's a very nice guy. He seems like a very cool, chill guy, but don't make him mad. Yeah. So, um, what about your top finish, though? Oh, for me, I, I had to go with the Bellator main event. Michael Chandler, he starched Benson Henderson in about two minutes. It's only the second time Bendo's been clean KO'd in his whole career. Bendo's, you know, he, he's not always someone who people. I think love as a fighter. You, I think it's probably hard to find people who say Benson Henderson is my favorite fighter, but he is legitimately one of the best 155 pounders of all time. You can't take that away from him. And he just took him out easy. Yeah, I can't even think of the other time he's been knocked out. The other time was uh, Rafael Dos Anjos. Okay, yeah, I, I a bunch couldn't... of years back. That was kind of at the very end, the beginning of kind of the end of Benson Henderson as a, as okay. a true contender uh, in the UFC. Yeah. Uh, but you know this. To talk about Chandler, great way for him to enter free agency. You know, he gets to pick basically his destination wherever he wants. I'm sure anybody would be clamoring to have his services as an action fighter with a great reputation and, and you know, with a high profile win here. You know, I I would be happy with wherever he ends up, but I think if he was to join the very deep lightweight division in the UFC, there are a billion fights that would be fun to watch with him. So I, I hope he ends up there, but wherever pays him the most. I think Darius would be a nice welcome to the UFC. He's sniffing the top 10, five-fight win streak. Let's do it. I think you could put Chandler in there higher. I'm not saying he would win, but I think he's he's actually a notable enough name that if he came there, he'd probably be like, give me someone in the top five right away, and they'd be like, all right, fine. Yeah, I could see that happening too. 
But I mean, that would be a fun fight. I mean, let Michael Chandler fight everybody. Look, he'd have fun. I think it'd be fun to watch him against a lot of guys. Yeah, definitely a good addition. That's a wrap for the Couchside Judges for now. We'll be back at the end of the week to look ahead to UFC 252 and the big heavyweight title trilogy fight between Steve Miocic and Daniel Cormier. We've got some other stuff cooking for Friday as well, so check back with us then for the newest episode. Be sure to subscribe to our show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you found us. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Couchside Judges, as well as myself at Scott underscore Fontana. And my DMs are open. Catch me on Twitter as well at DanUrbanMMA. Thanks as always for listening. We'll catch you on Friday. Later, guys. Mm-hmm.